the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello Bill, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bill, you work primarily as a soil specialist within the, the consultancy here at, at SAC. For the listeners um, who have joined us, um, can you lay out the kinds of projects that you've been involved in in the past? Okay. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, very job. I pretty much involved in any sort of situation where there's soil to be managed. So for, for example, over the last month or so, I've been in the center of Glasgow digging up trees uh, to look at any sort of issues related to, to urban tree management. And then I've up, been up the West Coast in fairly re- you know, remote areas doing soil surveys and then across the East Coast, uh, helping people with land drainage. Okay. Um, I also am a co-author on many of the uh, farm advisory service uh, fertilizer technical notes, so providing fertilizer advice. Okay, again as a as a uh, as a soil specialist and understanding the soil processes related to fertilizer use. Um, and then a big part of my job is also about waste management. Um, we we apply a lot of materials to land, and we expect our soils to recycle them safely. And I help people understand that process and make sure that it's done properly. Um, and finally, I work a lot in the topsoil trading market. So that's the movement of soils from one place to the next for construction uh, and for de- developments like open casts and quarries, et cetera. And uh, so, I, yeah, I help people understand their soil quality and how to protect it when, when there's a need to move it. Great. Good stuff. And uh, I ask this of everybody who comes on, Bill, how do you think the, the farming industry is doing um, in terms of how they've adapted to the, the pandemic? the pandemic it's been yeah it's been it's been it's been strange for me because i'm still very active and and it's one of these things where um you know because there's some key processes uh, in, i can only speak about my own job to, but there's key processes and particularly in the waste management sector that need to happen so um yeah they, they it, i think it's been it was been it's been pragmatic okay they've been you know they've responded appropriately to the sector uh, but they've also made sure that key things that need to happen such as environment anything related to environmental protection i've I've noticed that most people have really prioritized that, and I think that's good. You know, protecting our soil resources and the environment is is really important, and it's something which I, 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 the industry has really stepped up and made sure it's happened during the pandemic. And Bill, this is the final episode in the Thrill of the Hill delivery under the Farm Advisory Service for 2020, and I would be remiss if we didn't at least discuss the topic of soil um, and farm improvement uh, from a soil basis. Can you describe for some of the listeners, what characteristics should we be looking for when we're talking about productive soils? The most productive soils, so the, the soils that I you know, consider to be best or in, in the best shape are the ones that are really predictable. And so that means that you, you're going to be fairly guaranteed to get the response that you can expect from the soil okay so because we can't choose where we farm and we, we can't choose the soils that we're farming in most cases so you're sort of stuck with that uh, our key there is to make sure that the soil is brought up to suitable management quality that it's predictable okay so when you put in your bag fertilizer you know that you're going to see that as a crop at the end okay and the probably the biggest characteristics for that is um is 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 lime management or ph management uh, as well as drainage those those two key parameters that are really strongly linked to making sure that the soils that you're managing intensely are going to be able to produce a predictable yield 
And Bill, you and I have both been involved in projects recently revolving around soil health and liming in particular. In your experience, what is the current condition of soils within the farmed upland environment? This is, I'm going to keep, this is a big topic. Um, so I'm going to keep it to two pretty important aspects that are important, I think, for individual farmers, but also for a sector as a whole. Okay. And the first of those is, um, is pH. Uh, we've got an increasingly growing evidence base uh, based on some studies as well as um, other, you know, progress projects that are showing that um, some of our upland soils, uh, you, you know, we're not just talking rough grazing land here, which is, you know, isn't isn't what isn't isn't what we're concerned about. It's the inby land. It's the land that's expected to produce, you know, fairly commercially viable yields, grass, you know, in terms of grass. And this land, the pH has been allowed to drop. Okay, we're we're just seeing that more consistently, and it's it's in line with other statistics that show the amount of lime being sold and spread is is also declining or stabilizing. So we're uh, we've got this increasing evidence base that our pHs are dropping in these upland um, intensely managed uh, soils. Okay, and the other part too is drainage. Where we it's the Drains or some of the drains that were put in under the last grant scheme are now coming to the end of their lifespan, and I'm seeing increasing evidence now of people having to adapt to some of their drains starting to decline in, in effectiveness and having to face potentially huge costs to keep them, you know, keep them going. And Bill, can you discuss a little bit um, what impact a low pH has on productivity of, of this grassland? Okay, so so lime management for me is is one is one of the top three management tools that we have. Okay, to 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 make your soils predictable, as I said earlier on, and the other two being uh, cultivation and drainage. Okay, so these are our th three basic tools that every you know every farming operation in Scotland needs to be managing. Okay, on a on a regular basis, how we manage our other nutrients NPK can vary depending on the crop type, of course, and and other management considerations uh, such as organic, etc. But lime drains and cultivation are our three primary tools that we have okay um so that's so the, the reason i say that is just to place it you know in, as as important as anything else you do to your land okay it's a fundamental characteristic because as all the advice that we have all the fertilizer management advice is all based on the assumption that um uh, our phs are on target Okay, um, there, there isn't any sort of advice out there for how much nitrogen to apply to a low acidity soil. We just don't provide that kind of advice, okay, because it's it's not, when you have a low pH, you start to lose predictability. You're not sure what's going to happen to your to that nitrogen, okay? And so you're, 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 all the advice has been based upon soils that are well-drained, properly cultivated or appropriately cultivated and are on target for pH. Okay, so you are you're sort of in a you're 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 starting to have to guess as to what's going to happen when you start applying uh, fertilizer and other you know or, or or a reseed to land where you're where it's that's below target for pH. And you were mentioning target there, Bill. Do we have a, a national soil target that we should be aware of in, in terms of pH? Um, there's a there's a divide in this in the into sectors. So we we do tend to have a, a different pH target for grassland systems. Okay, and if the official target's pH is six, so that, by official I mean the one that's in the in the various uh, technical notes, which uh, hopefully will get, will get mentioned uh, later on, and that provide the advice for uh, liming rates. Uh, so that's for grassland. We're talking about six in 
in real terms, it's 5.8 to 6 is my sort of range. Okay, because you're, you know, it can be a, it can be very difficult to, co- to provide a cost-effective way of getting them to target. So that 5.8 at least is is showing a good. Uh, you're in you're you're closer to the target. It's still a very profitable pH to be managing your soils on, um, but you're still you know the advice would still be to get to six. You go into the arable sector, then it's much more clearly up at 6.2, and that's really strongly tied to uh, yield expectation as well. And that's uh, because with grassland systems, we don't typically ass- assess yield, but studies have shown that your your productivity starts to plateau at a lower pH than it does for for some arable crops. And Bill, we know that um, uptake of of fertilizer, whether that's organic or inorganic, um, can be linked to to pH. Why do the soils with a a higher pH have improved uptake of these fertilizers? Um, The first I'm going to talk about is the plant itself. Okay. there's there's a in Scotland many of Scottish soils we have what's called, uh, we have an aluminum issue okay it's not at dangerously high levels it's not a contaminant it's just a natural part of many of Scotland's soils okay the aluminum content is high and at lower pHs it, it this this aluminum transforms into a, a, a type that plants are very sensitive to it's not necessarily you know they some people describe it as being toxic that's not really the case because you, plants will still grow in that soil but what they'll do is they'll limit their rooting potential. Okay, um, and there's another of a range of other factors which, uh, when if you manage your your, your pHs correctly, will encourage deeper and thicker root growth. Okay, and so by doing that, you are increasing several fold the, the the contact between the plant's roots and the soil itself. So by just by virtue of that alone, you will get a substantial increase in in nutrient uptake because the plant just has more roots to do it. Okay. Uh, the second part to that is then getting into the chemistry. Okay, and this is again, we talk about land being able to hold on to nutrients, and why, why that we're primarily talking about phosphorus or phosphate, um, but that also includes potassium or potash. So uh, as we move away from or down below this five, this 5.8 to 6 target, the chemistry of the soil changes. And it then has an increased ability to hang on to these nutrients. And, and, and most importantly, it doesn't give them back at a predictable rate. Okay, so we lose that ability to be confident that our nutrients are being released to the crop rather than being held by the soil as, we, as our pH drops. And that's why what's really important when you consider lime, you're not applying fertilizer. Lime is not a fertilizer. Lime is a soil conditioner because we need to influence the whole soil soil prof- the soil characteristics try to we're changing its chemistry very slightly to reduce its ability to hold on to nutrients and to increase its suitability or desirability for the crop to push its roots through it and uh, bill with regards to when is appropriate to, to apply lime obviously we want to encourage farmers to to know the current condition of their soils before they apply anything. Mm-hmm. How often should farms be testing for soil pH? pH. Okay. First off, is 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 the, I'm going to is to make sure you're testing the right land. Okay. Because I think earlier on we were discussing. Um, I said about lower pHs in soils uh, occurring at upland, upland farms, and this is where um, you you have to you have to really make sure that you break your 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 land base into the you know we have rough grazing and that has uh, everyone understands that. Okay. We don't it's land that doesn't receive anything, and um, and those though, if we're going to test those if you, I encourage people to test them, but with the knowledge that they're not going to do anything about it. Okay, it's always it's always useful to know 
what some of your rougher land is, particularly if you're actually using it quite a bit, okay? Uh, and that, that test would be a, probably just a one-off, okay? And then you just get a basic understanding of what the pH of that kind of land is, okay? And it's, uh, and you know, it should be fairly low, but hopefully not too low. And it'll also have low uh, um, phosphate and potassium just because nothing's been applied to it, okay? So that sort of sets a benchmark. And that kind of thing I wouldn't be interested in seeing too often, okay? Unless that land was to change. But for your in-by land, we really are looking at a, if, you know, if, you've, if you've got it, you get a soil test done this year and it shows that you're quite low for pH and you decide you're going to invest in it, and you're going to try to, and you, you, I'd be encouraging you to test every, as, as often as every three years, okay? And you have to be really careful how you test in relation to your Lyme application so you don't get a, a, a false, you know, a false reading. But, um, uh, but, but once you're on target, so once you get yourself to your pH target, which you need to set for yourself somewhere between 5.8 and 6, once you're there, then you only would need to test every five years. And uh, at what point... Well, should farmers be considering applying lime? What pH would you say, yes, it absolutely needs done? I'm going to be, yeah, if you're below that target of 5.8, you need to be considering lime. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, there's just no, there's no way around that. It's, uh, you know, the target is set at six for a very good reason. That has clearly shown that our, our crop production, our grass production will be optimized or close to optimized at a pH of six. Okay. Um, and really, there is no other way of arguing uh, yourself down from there. Okay. We recognize that 5.8 is probably a slightly more realistic target. Okay, because we're because one thing we have to consider is is some of the farms in the upland parts of Scotland will have restrictions based on climate. Okay, so cold for greater periods of life, so they'll have lower yields. So there may be a clear reason why prof the profitable grass production will not be you know, you know you're not going to necessarily necessarily see an increase in profit from going above 5.8 because of other factors. Okay, uh, but in terms of nutrient use, efficient nutrient use, if you're if you're applying bagged fertilizer uh, to soils that have certainly down to below 5.6, then you need to question that, okay? Because you're, there's clear evidence that you know your nutrient use efficiency will be considerably reduced. So you may be compensating, okay? So you may be applying fertilizer and having, and you didn't get the yield, so you apply more. And the, but but on the underlying reason why that inefficiency is coming into your system would is more likely to do with a declining pH. And when it comes to lime, Bill, can you discuss a little bit the, the differences between calcium and, and manganese lime? Okay. Um, they mag lime yeah, and calcium lime in, in this in the terms of what they what they uh, deliver. Okay, if you're what you're primarily buying them for, there's not much difference. Okay, they really, there's other tests called neutralizing value, which we'll probably cover later on. That will that, that is a better indicator in terms of their their ability to to uh, uh, increase the pH of your soils, okay? The, the, but the second question there is what's being delivered as a co-product, okay? And the, the big difference, of course, is calcium versus magnesium, okay? So um, the, uh, and that comes down to your soil tests, okay? You know, and price. You're always looking to make sure that liming is cost-effective. So usually the best source of lime will be the cheapest, um, uh, provided it's going to be able to do the job that you need it to do. Um, the second part to that is looking at your soil test for magnesium levels. We typically don't have um, we typically don't have um, magnesium issues in Scotland. Very, I've only seen a few cases where magnesium levels are low. 
Okay, it's uh, and that's to do with acidity management as well. Um, we typically have slightly more acidic soils, which means that magnesium will be more available. Um, so I don't often see a reason to turn over to magnime because of the magnesiums, okay? The other part to that is, is if you've got a test result comes back and you're really high in magnesium, then there could be some concern about applying more magnesium in, in the form of lime, okay? Because magnesium, high magnesium can lead to some soil structural issues, okay? So we certainly would never wanna see a situation where you're applying more magnesium to, to land that's already very high. And I've only come across that once in, in, in Scotland, but was a collection of farmers in an area and they'd all come together and soil tested and they uniformly had high magnesium. And in that case, I was clearly able to say that they need to switch to a calcium one okay so and then the other part to that is the calcium itself um, calcium is is recognized as a, um, a valuable um, uh, soil amendment for improving soil structure there's no question about that uh, in terms of the science and the chemistry um, there has been very little evidence that can document a yield response to increased levels of calcium application okay so the argument um, to, to you know economic argument if there's a variation or a difference in the price between the two products is is hard to make unless there's a clear evidence that magnesium is either a deficiency or is in surplus in a given area you may want to either switch to mag lime or move away from it um, but the other benefits associated with the calcium um, again there's it's quite clear that it, there is a benefit, but remember that it's you often it'll be hard for you to actually measure that benefit. And Bill, in terms of prilled lime versus bagged lime, what are your thoughts on on which is better, and is there a scenario in which each is equally viable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a big. I've seen a big change in my attitude towards it when uh, when prilled limes became more common on the market several years ago. I, I thought they were just a waste of time. Okay, and 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 too because they were too too expensive, um, because ultimately they're doing the same job. Um, that's one thing to really you have to keep in mind that. You, it's just because it's prilled, it doesn't mean that it's any different than the than the, the, the ground limestone. It's just that they've processed it into a you know much more convenient and um, uh, easy to use product. You can spread it yourself in most cases. Uh, so in terms of the chemistry, it's that's really important. They are identical. You still need just as much prilled lime as you would for the ground limestone. Okay, there's no there's no magical change in what's being brought onto the land. It's the difference is how convenient it is for you to use it okay um, and being that so I originally I was I was quite against it because it's usually much more expensive prilled lime um, but I've been convinced by a number of farmers I've spoken to who said that they found you know quite cost-effective ways of getting it through the farm gate so as part of a bulk buy okay or using it buying it as part of the bulk up in order for shipping purposes you know they found a number of cost-effective ways of getting it on the farm <laughs> and once they've they've had it because it's so flexible you can store it easily and you can also apply it yourself so you're not looking as a specialized process and they've found it a really useful tool okay because they're, they're applying they're still using the best systems are still using ground limestone as part of a liming program but they're using the prills to to go into to go into areas like in front of a reseed where they you know they're not on target but they're looking to get the soil on target but here's a convenient easy way that you manage in terms of day-to-day -day activities that you can apply um, and to ensure that that you know the given areas is coming up to target for ph okay and so i'm seeing those systems and they're they're not only are they uh, they're using their regular program, they're now using more lime. Okay, and that's really what I'd like to see because, as I said earlier on, there is some concern that we're we're letting our pHs drop. 
Good, good stuff. In terms of dropping pH, Bill, um, can you explain neutralizing value and what that means um, for uh, for lime? Okay, well, when we talk about buying lime, we talk about first off is is how fine it is, how how core, uh, how how ground it is. Okay, in most cases, if it's just a, a ground material, there are other types of lime materials, but those most of them nowadays are uh, coming in bagged as ground material, and so that fineness, okay, is a is a key characteristic. Um, the next part to understanding it in terms of its commercial value is, is what we call neutralizing value. And that's been set up by the industry um, itself as a means of, of being able to compare different products. And it is a, it's a straightforward uh, lab test, which just determines how much, how, how much uh, it will increase pH. Okay, and it's as simple as that. Um, but in order for us to, to present that number, um, they've used this neutralizing value of, of uh, is a sort of a theoretically perfect liming material okay um, and so and, and they've given it in relation to that so that this test can be used on a range of different materials and the results mean the same thing okay and that's all it is and if you look at technical notes um, uh, 714 so with lime materials and recommendations um, there's actually a, a, a section on there that runs through the calculation okay but when you buy the lime there should be a certificate with it that states clearly what its neutralizing value is. Okay, um, that's nothing to do with how finely it's ground or anything. It's more, it's the actual assessment of the chemical characteristics of that liming material, and, uh, and then you can then use that. And before you buy it, you should be looking at that and using it to as compare it to, to compare other products based upon the neutralizing value. Okay, great. Okay, so we're, we're really going to get into it here, Bill. <laughs> Liming has been linked um, with increased carbon footprints um, on farms across Scotland. At a time in which farms are becoming increasingly carbon conscious, how do you square that circle? How, how do you justify the need to continue applying lime? Yep, I think it has to be. It, it's a that's a it's a big issue, and it's one which I don't think there. I I don't have a you know a full and complete answer. Uh, but one thing I can say that um, the way that we currently provide advice on on grass growth is dependent upon the assumption that we're on target for pH. Okay, um, and I still think an argument. Uh, I know that there's there's a clear indication. So you know there's a carbon consequence to applying lime in terms of greenhouse gases, um, and I, but that would have to be um, offset or compared to the implications of reduced yields associated with low pH, as well as rising input costs, okay? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, pH is a fundamental characteristic, uh, underlines all our advisory advice, okay? And if we're gonna move away from that for other reasons, we have to be aware of that, okay? And that's, um, for me, that's because I, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't, when I'm providing, when I'm writing these technical notes, we do make the assumption you're on target for pH. If you're not on target for pH, then this advice, you know, the standard advice isn't as applicable. And uh, um, so, it, and I believe that uh, the carbon consequence of declining yields, okay, as, and will need to be balanced against this, this measured, um, what could possibly just be a temporary increase in, in um, a carbon, carbon that's released as part of the aligning process itself. And uh, Bill, another thing that's really topical right now is soil carbon concentration. Um, it's really come to the forefront in this past year. Why is soil carbon concentration real, uh, as important as it is and, and how does it affect liming? 
priming? Well, carbon is becoming, <laughs> I think it's becoming used now more more frequently as a, a soil quality indicator. Um, and so simple and, and straightforward tools like loss on ignition, which is a, you know an analytical test you can request for your soils, gives you a you know, fairly reliable idea of your soil carbon. And as we all know, soil, the amount of carbon that's sequestered in our topsoil, so held in our topsoils is being regularly assessed and being seen as an asset now. So something that needs to be protected because there could be a carbon consequence if if we're if it's allowed to decline because more carbon will be released. So it's a recognition of, of the value, an, an additional way of assessing the value of a of a good functioning topsoil uh, is is its organic content, um, and uh, and how in terms of the pressures on it, I think probably the first thing I would say um, in relation to lime and, and other management is is just how much profit you're getting out of your humic and PD soils, and most you know most hill farms and most grassland systems in Scotland are going to have at least part of the farm that's going to have hard land that's meant to manage and that's your humic so the really high organic content and your peaty soils which have you know are, are largely organic material and it's moving away from those ones and making sure that you know they're the first ones that get questioned as to the how profitable it is to continue to lime them or even you know apply fertilizer to them and i think as a as a, as a sector but we need to reconsider that and maybe a bit of attention paid to just how you know is it profitable to manage those soils because Management will have a carbon consequence, and as you as you pointed earlier on, applying lime has a direct measurable consequence. But also plowing organic soils and PD soils, all these factors will you know potentially put the carbon in there at risk. And it's those soils that I think need to be you know looked at and determined whether it's suitable for for us to continue with it. I think you've kind of touched on my my next question there, Bill. But I was going to ask. What what response would you have for a farmer who suggests to you that maybe liming is too expensive, that the ground is too marginal, and they're not going to see the improvement there? How would you how would you get across the message of, of liming to them? Well, the, well, the first off is it's early on. Okay, uh, most of the people that most all farmers, okay, they they they, they want to see their they want to see their crop grow. Okay, and grassland system it's grass, and you know if you're in a low pH soil, uh, you know it's the pictures are quite easy to prove that your grass is going to be happier. It's going to grow better uh, just because of um, its rooting potential and into in the, in a, you increase your, your acidity. Okay, so at a very basic level, you're going to get better grass, more predictable grass yields uh, as you as you you know as you if you manage your your pH appropriately. And the second part of that is, I think, unfortunately, the sector is going to be under scrutiny. Okay, where you know the the nutrient use efficiency, how efficient bag fertilizer usage is is higher is directly linked to to soil pH status and there will be scrutiny and so if you're applying bag fertilizer to low pH soils that's you know, yeah the you know where the profitability of that needs to be questioned but also how you know how suitable that is okay it's uh, there you know they, they, there could be a very strong message put forward saying you know if you're if if you're if you're not managing pH then why are you still applying fertilizer because in some situations people are over applying fertilizers to compensate for the low pH rather than addressing that 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 as the key management issue yeah yeah and uh, Bill Quite often, farmers would suggest that, uh, or may suggest that lime is expensive um, because it's not readily available where I am. And, and a great proportion of the cost associated with getting it on farm will just be transport. 
what is the availability of light, uh, line like across Scotland? I can't, well, I don't have a full answer for that. Okay, um, I do think that what I've seen in the market change in the market is is it it's there's still a lot of lime out of there, but it's coming from fewer and fewer sources, and that's for me that's a problem because as you say, the transportation costs are higher. I if if in 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 my perfect world, I would be changing that because I do think that there you know, there probably is locally available sources of 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 material that can be ground up as a good liming agent. The problem is, is the marketplace isn't supporting it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's about the, not only about, you know, the availability, it's about where it's coming from. And I think ideally we would be able to have a system such that a locally available um, operation could provide lime at a, at a cost effective way, as well as making, you know, that was business viable. And uh, so I think that's what's the factor is. Okay. I don't believe that there's not some local source that could be you know, be able to provide lime um, at a cost-effective way. It's just that the market's not allowing it. To, you know, there's the costs associated with it, and just market pressures have 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 uh, not um, allowed that that market to to thrive. Okay, so if we had a if I, if I could change it, that's what I'd like to see. Is is that it almost be like a mandate for a locally available lime source because that's it's such an important part of how we manage our land. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that you know, that's for me is is, is the big issue with it. Uh, and I know that I, you know I do go up to parts of Scotland where they, you know, the lime costs can be extraordinarily high. Um, and uh, it's it's then the next part of that is is making sure that you focus in on that you have recognised it's important, uh, and try to see you know do, do a direct calculation as to the potential impact on the yields um, versus not having it, um, and trying to make sure that it's it's a sound business decision. And. We've talked a lot about lime um, and uh, calcium and, and, and manganese. Are there any alternatives to, to lime in terms of managing pH in Scotland? Well, there is material, waste materials that are often arising that are applied to land. And, um, and some of them can have like an alkaline uh, pH. A lot of composts will have a pH in the sevens. Um, and some of the digestates that you that many people are probably either taking now or at least seeing will have an alkaline pH. But but their neutralizing value is typically very low. So there's, again, that's, you know, they've gone, been used, they've been had the same test applied to them as lime. And it's been shown that while they're alkaline, they don't actually have much much ability to impact soil pH at all um, and a lot of the other materials that that we would have traditionally or m may have seen um, they've you know they they've, they've sort of disappeared off the market and I think from commercial pressures so we really are getting quite limited uh, so and, and uh, there is no direct alternative Bill I know that the the bulk of this podcast covered liming but we did touch on soil health um, and uh, you mentioned drainage in particular. I think this is a really big issue for a lot of upland hill farmers. Can you discuss how you appraise at what point your land needs drained? Okay. The, the, key, the, the real answer to that is what you're expecting from your land. Okay. Well, my concern is, is that a lot of people have been working well-drained or reasonably well-drained land for a, a generation okay um, as a result of you know the old grant schemes for land drainage there was a lot of work done okay um, but all those systems are now coming under threat and and everyone needs to recognize that it's almost a certainty that your land drains are you know have severely been had their uh, effectiveness reduced by just age or um, are starting to fail 
and, and everyone needs to be not only just clearing their ditches, but they need to be looking at their, their systems, okay? And part of that, because it'll creep in on you, okay? Slightly, you know, so the cows, if, if for, for, intent, for livestock system, you know, the cows don't go out quite as, as early in the front end as they used to, or they have to come in a bit earlier. And sometimes those, those kind of uh, soil conditions are, you know, you don't understand them as being drainage related, okay? So it's about, if you're struggling to get what you used to get out of the land, part of that could be the decline in drains. Okay, so it's it's rather than something that you 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 should be worrying about it all the time. Uh, that's the you know the sh you know, the real short answer to to it. Okay, um, and the second part about that is just how if 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 you're regularly putting a compaction into your soil. Okay, if you're you know particularly in heavily trafficked areas, it's unavoidable. But if it's getting worse, okay, or if it's taking longer for 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 um, those areas that have been trafficked to recover it's undoubtedly related to your land drains as well. And obviously um, drainage is the removal of, of water from, from the soil. Is there a bit of a conflict there, Bill? We've uh, talked a bit about climate change. Um, it's no secret that uh, retention of water, particularly in the uplands, as a way of managing flood risk um, is, is particularly important right now. Is there a conflict there between the need to improve your land um, and the desire to, to retain moisture? Okay. Yep. That's going to be it. That's, that's as, one, as one of my former uh, colleagues used to mention, that's like a poacher turning gamekeeper. Okay. Because uh, you know, I've spent a good chunk of my career helping people drain land. And um, you know, and now, but now some of the parameters, some of the uh, some of the the ways that we are measure success, okay, are changing. Okay, so there is, you know, before it was about how much yield you could get and how, uh, you know, other, you know, how what range of of services you could get from the soil, and that's changing a bit now. And they're talking about. Um, carbon sequestering and a sustainable soil use these types of things so and they are very different and there's you're quite right there's there is going to be a conflict between the two of them we were uh we you know typically would drain um uh, high organic soils to try to get something off them in most cases so to allow for livestock to graze that area you can put a drain in to get those humic and peaty soils a bit better drained so that you get something off of it very seldom are they can you get more than just a, a graze off that kind of land um, but people have historically done that because it can be worth it okay and i think those are the i mentioned um you know in other, in other talks that um that those it's those types of marginal bits of the farm that really need to be questioned first okay um uh, the on the rest of the land i you know we in order to to run a business off you know most hill farms land drainage is a requirement and i think and i think in most instances on the, certainly on the mineral fraction of the soil so we're moving away from these high organic soils uh, most you know on these mineral soils that consequence or that uh, contradiction is is not as valid okay that these what we're doing when we move away from these humic and peaty soils and onto the mineral soils that um, then you're you're um, you're talking about how much water at a certain time of the year okay and it's, it's different these soils would have relatively or mo at least moderately good drainage status to begin with so they're not wouldn't be subject to prolonged saturation which is one of that is the key link between the accumulation and buildup of organic matter and is really strongly related to how much of the year they're they're wet and as that increases more organic content increases as well and it's so it's it's a self-fulfilling and until ultimately that whole process ends up with peat 
So um, it's it's in those soils where I think the contradiction is quite clear. If you, but on the more mineral fraction, the mineral part of of the soil of your business, that that it's not quite as 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 big an issue. And Bill, obviously we're going into a very um, uncertain time right now with with Brexit, um, and we're looking to, to see what the, the next round of the Scottish Rural Development Programme is going to be like, um, if indeed there is going to be another um, equivocal round of the, the SRDP. Are you optimistic about the position of soil health within a, a policy context? Um, and do you think it will be addressed going forward? I, I think my big concerns is... is, is um... The, it, I'm concerned. It, it's the it's the, uh, the 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 my concern is for the smaller business and for the medium sized business in in the upland areas. My concern is about the profitability, the long term profitability. If if the fundamentals of the of the of land management, which in this case we're talking about drainage and and acidity management, aren't if there if there's no business case for maintaining it my concern in the short term would be people's attempt to compensate through the over application of fertilizers or maybe cultivating land that shouldn't be cultivated there's that's my concern as is because we're you know we've got a clear and strong historical evidence base that shows that if you want to farm in scotland you've got to you've got to control acidity and you've got to to have a good drainage system um, and it's only because we had those that many much of the land in in, um, in in upland scotland is able to be farmed at all and so we need to we can't move away too far from that when we have to be seen to make sure that those two those two key characteristics um, can be effectively managed in these in you know in order for farming to continue and it uh, you know and i think there is some concern about that we uh, we previously had um, consultants like Robert Ramsey and Daniel Stout on the podcast discussing um, improving productivity within beef and sheep upland systems. Do you have a position, Bill, on the use of livestock in, in maintaining good soil health? Um, it's, I think the, well, the, the, the more extreme side of things is, is uh, there used to be sort of an attitude towards um, overwintering the livestock in a fairly contained area um, and, and doing sort of uh, a bit of a sacrifice of that land with the idea that you'll either leave it to, to recover for a period of time in the, in the front end or else you'll cultivate it for a reseed. I've, I've always been against that. Okay, so if your management strategy was to include that sort of intensive livestock density such that you turn up the soil and you know, what, what may appear to be a cultivation or some, you know, prior to a reseed, et cetera, that kind of thing, I'm, I don't, you know, maintaining a, an appropriate stocking density over the winter, um, that such that you don't have extensive poaching, okay, such that you don't, you're not putting in a, a compaction layer in the soil that's that would need to be, you know, managed out by um, lifting or something like that. Those are key. Oh, and there's no, you know, I can't, I couldn't see any, or uh, couldn't support a management strategy that was to move too far from that. Okay, so it's it's a it's 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 um uh, in terms of productivity and increasing productivity you have to take into consideration the soils that you're managing and that's why I, I believe in that sector in by land you know you have to be sure that that's 
up at the highest quality as potentially possible. Okay, and that from from my in my end of it, it's drainage and pH, and so it's testing that land and making sure that you get that core part of the farm as good as possible and then you can start to worry about the managing the soils where you know that could become more either you know not quite as cost effective or more challenging okay so it's making sure that the land that you're that core part of your land that that's the, that's um, usually in by the steading is is up to the best standard that it can be bill as part of this podcast i think it's important that we lay the groundwork can you discuss a little bit about soil diversity and, and organisms within the soil and, and, and why having a healthy soil is important from that perspective? Yeah, it's it's going to it's a quite again there's going to be a bit of a contradiction in this topic because you know we we maintain what we we manage our soils or set our tar- pH targets at a high a level that's higher than what would be called a natural. Uh, soil acidity for Scotland, particularly in the upland areas, which would naturally be quite acidic, and and historically they would have had the uh, organisms that would that would flourish at these not low pHs but lower pHs. Um, but for various reasons, which we've um, we discussed, the we've, we're trying to increase that pH, okay, because we need to see a, uh, an improvement in some processes, okay. So those are related to how nitrogen is. Is uh, is processed, for example, you know, as, as on target pHs will be, you know, better at processing the fertilizers that we're applying, including our, our organic ones. So, but as part of that, will play a consequence. We're we're going to be heavily influencing the soil biological um, diversity of our soils because we're altering that key fundamental characteristic, which is pH. Okay, uh, and it's that will again be a question of where you set your, set your you know set your objectives uh, we we are, we still want our soils to be productive we want to get a crop off them and we know that that is more efficient and that you will be ultimately better in terms of environment and climate change uh, to being as efficient as possible and one of those factors to getting to that high efficiency is managing our soil pH but that would need to be balanced with you know the impact that we're having in terms of altering a key characteristic of the soil which will influence soil biology. So very much a, a balancing act to, to be it, struck here. It's setting it's 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 setting out what your what your characteristics are. I mean we've been managing in te- relatively intensive management of Scotland soils for well over 100 years so we've sort of set a new norm okay in terms of what is a healthy soil um, but in terms of what the soil would be like if you didn't do anything to it it would be very different particularly if it's been fairly intensely managed over the last hundred years or so well we've seen an increase in the number of farms undertaking uh, woodland planting and it's certainly a priority for scotland and, and scottish government going forward as we try and meet these net zero um, 2045 targets do you have any concerns over tree planting um, with regards to, to Scotland soils and the changes that that will have um, on soil condition? Yeah, I think that my first reaction to that question is is, is um, I'm always disappointed when I see relatively good agricultural land put down to forestry. Um, and that sometimes I can people can convince me with a financial argument. But if you're at reasonably good quality land, so that's LCA3 or something like that, you know, quitting it to trees doesn't make a lot of sense to me but that's I'm a bit biased because I'd rather see I'd rather see crops growing or grass growing so the um, it's that it's it's a loss of some land because of a sound economic and 
decision right now, um, but I do worry that that land would probably be better served for for the rest of us if it stayed in in, in productive agriculture because it's it's always going to be the case where if we get most of our food from high quality land, that's where the greatest efficiencies will always be occurring. So to see a good quality land put to trees for the next 30 years or whatever, um, for me is always a bit concerning. Okay. And uh, um, yeah. And, and then also about, it's just, a, it is a significant land management change to make. And and you are sort of putting that land back into a, a, a trees. Well, and once that's out of trees, that will have a long-term consequence. And again, things like land drainage systems will be largely destroyed by that process. Bill, I ask this to everybody who comes on the podcast. Um, what have you seen recently within the industry that, that you think more people should be paying attention to, maybe specifically to, to, to lime or soil health, um, something that you'd like to showcase? Yep. Uh, the, for me, the big thing now, and particularly in the grassland sector, is benchmarking of grass yields. And uh, so it's not a, it's nothing new. I mean, there's always been people have always estimated grass yields, but there are tools coming available. Um, you know, there's Grass Check now, which is a nationally rolled out program where people are submitting and understanding grass yield, which is a real challenging thing to do um, because it can change so much and we manage it in so many different ways. Uh, but that benchmarking, I, I believe, is a really crucial next step and because if we can understand yields and you can benchmark against it then you then you start to develop much more stronger business case for liming okay because as we said before lime can be expensive but if you can clearly show that you know somebody who's liming and locally is getting this increased yield then hopefully there'll be enough evidence there for you to justify the use of lime because it's you know it's such an important part about of efficient um, grass growth and profitable grass growth, um, but also on a wider scale in terms of continue, to, you know, the way that we manage our land now, we need to be seen to be showing that we're we're taking into consideration important aspects and and um, so understanding your yields, making sure that you're you're using all your nutrients as efficiently as possible, I think is key to to showing that the business is is not only profitable in the future but also climate you know ready to help with climate change issues and and other soil health issues as well. Great. Well, um, for the Farm Advisory Service, um, thanks for coming on. It's been, been really good to talk to you. Thank you, Alex.